Please turn in your Bible to John chapter 15. How many of you have ever had a preconceived idea about something? Anybody? Three of us? Four of us? All right. Let me give you, let me give you a couple of uh, ideas here. How about a restaurant? Anybody ever had somebody tell them something about a restaurant and you kind of went in with an idea? How many of you have ever found your preconceptions to be wrong? Anybody? Okay. Restaurants? How about a movie? Isn't it funny how people can completely disagree on a movie and it's the exact same movie? What about a meeting? You know, we're having this meeting today and we get this idea of kind of how the meeting is going to go. Um, a conversation. How about a person? Ever had a misconception about a person? I had a guy, it was really funny because I had started in the corporate world and the new guy always gets bombarded with all kind of opinions about everybody else, right? And I had, I had a friend and I, I'm still discerning, I think he's a Christian, but he came to me and he said, you know, a lot of people can come tell you a lot of things about a lot of people, but you need to draw your own pictures. And that was some of the best advice that I'd ever been given because, you know, some one person's experience may not be your experience. And preconceptions or uh, preconceived ideas can be pretty dangerous. They can be, they, they mislead us. They, um, they lie essentially about whatever the, the subject is. And this morning, I want to talk to you about this idea that I'm really convinced that most people, including this people, has preconceived ideas about who God really is. They may not be accurate. Would you guys be willing to say that there may be some ideas about God that you have that may not be accurate? And I think the most important thing that we do is that we embrace God in the truth of who He actually is. Not who we think He is or who somebody else thinks He is, but who God actually is. And so... This morning, as we're going to talk about misunderstandings about God, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the misconception of God as our boss, God as a hard judge, and God as an unengaged God. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word together. And I pray this morning that you'll speak to each one of us. As we walk our way through this, as we come to an understanding of really who you are. And Father, I pray if I hold anything that's not accurate to who you are, I ask you to strip it out of me. So that I may know exactly who you are and worship you in both spirit and in truth. And I pray the same for everyone here. I ask you to move in this place today. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. Speak to us from your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to begin with that God is our boss. You know, God may really be totally different than how you perceive him to be. And so those who view the idea of God as your boss, they see God in the same way. They see their earthly boss, that he's here to give instruction and direction. They focus on his lordship and not on a relationship. Well, we're going to read in John 15, verses 14 through 16. 
He said, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. And so, he stops calling us here slaves. And he calls us friends. And he does that, and he begins to list out why we know him different. Why we are not slaves, and why we are friends. Why we are not just servants, and why we're friends. And he lists first, is that we know what he's up to. You know, somebody who's a hired hand just gets told what to do and they do that. They're given a task, you complete this task, and it's done. But those who are engaged, those who are part of the family, those who are part of the ownership, those who are are joint heirs, if you will, knows exactly why we're doing the things that we're doing. And so we know what he's up to. We're also calls us to bear fruit. See, fruit bearing is only found when He is doing the work through us. It's not about us. It's about Him and the work that He intends to do in the lives of other people and in our own life as we watch the hand of God bring us to life. And the fruit is born by our branch. It's not created by it, but we bear it because He's made us to bear a certain kind of fruit. And he answers our prayers. You know, it's really interesting that he talks about relationship. Watch how he does this. He talks about relationship. He talks about fruit bearing. And then he talks about God answering our prayer. And that's how it works, ladies and gentlemen. When our mindset is on the relationship. And when our our heart is to bear fruit for him. And we're in line with him. In a relationship with him. When we pray, our prayers align with what He wants to do in our life. Because we know from other verses that He works in us both the will and to do of His good pleasure. And so that's the process. You are not an employee of God. There's so much given to us about what we ought to do and what we have to do and what's important. And how we have to do all these things for God. And that will be preached across the globe today. The question is, with which source do we do those things? Do we do them out of an I have to, or I have to do this to be right with God? I'm trying really hard to make it. Or do we do it out of the idea of, I'm in a relationship with Him, and He's leading me into these things each and every time. See, it's, it's all about sourcing. The beauty is when God gives us a job to do, He does it through us. Our, you know, we talk about obedience. You know, the, the problem with the word obedience is it's something that usually feels forced on us. When we talk about obedience, it's something that where somebody said, well, you need to obey. It's usually something we don't want to do, right? 
Obedience is almost never something that works like, you need to obey me and go to Six Flags. We don't talk about it like that. Or you need to obey me and eat that pie, all of it. I want to see every last bit off your plate. It's usually obeyed with something that we don't like. But when it's with God, when he talks about obedience, it is Six Flags, it is pie, it is a, because, it, and the thing may not be, it may be broccoli, but to us it's so good because it's the hand of God in our life that nothing else matters. So many Christians believe that we make Him Lord through our obedience. Carry that, you know, let God be Lord of your life. Let me tell you something God is Lord, He's already Lord. We don't make Him Lord. You know, it's really interesting. You know, we're not, we're not instructed to do that, we're instructed to surrender to His Lordship. But he's more than our Lord. He's our life, folks. If our life is hidden with Christ, our life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. He's more than just a director of the things that happen. Well, you stand here and you go there and you say this and you do that. And and that's kind of what we want because then we would know what we should do. And let me tell you what we should. I want to tell you what that answer is. What you should do is fall in love with him. And the rest of it takes care of itself. Strip all of this away. You know, just tell me what to do. We pray that, Lord, what should I do? What is your will for my life? And people across America are praying that. And his will for your life is that you will know him and him crucified and hear the spirit of God speak to your heart in every situation as you walk through the day. That's his will. And then the rest of it, he will show you if he wants you as an accountant, as a missionary, as a singer, as whatever. He'll show you that because you'll be living out of the joy of knowing Him. And so, He's more than our boss. He's our life. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 says this, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were born under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You ever heard that before, Abba, Father? Did y'all know the translation for Abba really means Daddy? It's an intimate term that's used about a relationship that goes beyond father it's a safe place it's a place for somebody who loves you and all the other stuff is as is unimportant therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God see Jesus is Jesus's purpose it was not to save you, to make you a servant. Watch how this works. We're going to walk through that verse, those verses. Jesus came. He was born under the law. He put himself under the law. To redeem those under the law. Who was what? All of us, right? 
as we're born under the law, so that they might receive adoption as sons. So we come into the family so we can be adopted, so we can cry, Abba, Father. So we can move not only just into the family, but in a closer relationship. And then hmm, we would be an heir. We would be an heir. We'd have family rights. He claimed, he, Jesus came to make us a son. So don't seek what he wants you to do. Seek him. And you know what he wants you to do. See, we think that God's just this boss directing all this. God's not a boss. He's our Abba Father. Isn't that good? I knew a preacher who used to say, if that don't excite you, that don't set you on fire, your wick is wet. <laughs> That's good stuff, man. He's not our boss. But a lot of people see God as a hard judge. Like he sits in heaven ready to <laughs> get people with a big stick. Don't you get out of line. God, is God mad at me? Have you ever asked yourself that? Has the enemy ever put that in your mind? Is God, how many times that that's come to your mind has it been associated with behavior? 100%, right? Is God mad at me now because I did this? Why do we ask ourselves that if we understand the cross? Have you ever wondered that? All right, let's walk through the cross. So I'll give you the look. Did Jesus die on the cross? Yes. Thank you, three of you. Did Was he buried? Did he rise the third day as payment for our sins? Did he separate us from our sins as far as east is from the west? All of our sins from birth to death? Then why would God be mad at you? God's not sitting up there waiting to strike you down. Not sitting there waiting just to, to judge you. But you better get it right, Mark. I'd be in big trouble if that's the kind of God he really was. Yeah. <laughs> and that's coming from someone who knows. <laughs> Some of it. <laughs> Listen. This view of God as a hard judge sees God is seated in heaven watching our every move, waiting for us to make a mistake. And you know what this does? This breeds fear and distance between God and the people he loves. Doesn't it? How many of you want to cuddle up with someone who's like, who's like that? Is this ready? You know, families break up over people like that. They run away. They move away. They don't move closer. And why would God behave in a way that makes it would cause the opposite of what he's after? See, this is a ploy of the enemy trying to get in and keep us out of an intimate, fresh, walking, hearing, intimate knowledge of God, the one who died it for us. His goal, I mean, really, that's condemnation, right? 
Which brings us to Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boy, isn't that what that view is all about? Condemnation? I'm living under this constant threat. Or uh, if I mess up, God's going to get me. Or in sermons gone by, is God sees wherever you are and he's going to get you if you get out of line. Listen, God already got me when he punched his son. Unfair. Unfair. But that's what grace is. Grace is unfair. We're going to get into grace and mercy next week. That's going to be fun. There's a huge difference between grace and mercy. They're used together a lot. Well, grace and peace a lot. But grace and mercy. And so, they're hard to... Listen. Alright, here's one that's really strange. You're going to think I've lost my mind. And you might be right. How many of you know God loves you? Right. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you know that God likes you? Why is that harder? Do you ever wonder that? That's so funny. You guys, you guys are completely setting me up. We're going, yeah, God loves me. But he likes me? God not only loves you, but he likes you too. And the reason we have a harder time with liking me is we think that's more of a choice. Like he has to, like our parents, they have to love us, right? Regardless, they have to love us. But they like us? That seems to be a choice. Where we think, so what we're really saying is, we think that if God had a choice, he really wouldn't like me. See, we're getting to the real stuff here, folks. Do you realize that God created you? How many of you think God makes mistakes? Anybody? I just want to know. Okay? You think God makes mistakes. Well, when he created you, did he make a mistake? Then why wouldn't he like you? Well, if he only knew me the way I knew me, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Is that okay? I mean, we're going down that path, folks. God, by his volitional choice, likes you. We're going to go through the verses here. Listen. <laughs> God is not sitting in heaven waiting to judge you. He's already judged your sin. And if you're in a relationship with him, you'll never face that judgment again. You know, we have people in our lives that we like, right? And there's people that we, we have friends, we have acquaintances, and then we have other people that we don't know, and then we have people that we know that we don't want to hang out with. Is that not true, right? Let's be honest. And we think God sees people that way, how we do it. We place our filters upon him, and then we reflect that back and go, well, if he knew me the way I know me, he wouldn't like me. 
And we usually associate it again with what? Behavior, right? But God's already dealt with that. We've already covered that. So when God sees us, He actually not only just loves us, He likes us too. It's not a hard judge sitting in heaven waiting to bring the wrath down on Mark. Because if that was the case, honestly, you'd have a different pastor. <laughs> Maybe Stephen would be up here. <laughs> One more thing for you. <laughs> so, other people see God as unengaged. We've kind of talked about God as our boss. God is a hard judge, but God is unengaged. He's kind of far off. He started this whole thing. He kind of let it go. And he doesn't really care about what I do or what's going on in my life. You know, he's got bigger things than that to worry about. What bigger things could God not handle by going? Nuclear weapons? Here's a big one. Peace in the Middle East? He could do it just like that. All he has to do is think it. He didn't have to think it. It's just got to be his desire and it'll happen. The people who hold this view is they see him as distant and not engaged in their lives. See, scripture proves this false. I want to read this section of scripture to you. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I want you to see how this plays out. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. It's not a God who's not active in our life. That's a God who is doing things and orchestrating things to be closer and more intimate with us. Not less, not further away, but closer. 
God is not a distant God who doesn't care or doesn't think about the small things. Let me ask you, well, God's got big stuff to handle and all my stuff is little stuff. What on earth is big stuff for God to handle? We look at him and apply the stuff that's big for us and say it's big for him. He resurrected at least two men from the dead. He brought them back to life. Jesus, we all know. Lazarus, come forth. Call them by name. Some people, some people, you know, I, <laughs> I laugh at some of the commentaries I read. Some people said, that, well, the reason he had to say Lazarus is because everybody would have come forward as he gave the command to come forward. So he said Lazarus. Nobody knows that. Could he have risen the whole graveyard? Yes. Could have. There's nothing that's big for God. There's nothing. Man, I really feel trapped by this. That's not big for God. First of all, you're actually already free if you're a Christian, but we see these things as insurmountable. Do you think there's things insurmountable in your life for God? It's not. And this, if it's God is distant, you know, when somebody's distant, it means they don't care. And God cares about you. A lot of people view God that way. Listen, in fact, we're actually one with Jesus Christ. He's not far away. We're actually one with him. John 17, 20 through 21. You know, that when I, if I use the phrase the Lord's Prayer... How many of you think our Father which art in heaven? Okay. Did y'all know that's not the Lord's Prayer? That's a model prayer. Jesus didn't pray that. He, then when they asked him how to pray, that's what he told them. But the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' prayer, it's found in John 17, where he actually prays for us. And we're going to read part of that right here. He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. But for those also who believe in me through their word. Who's that? Who that? That's us. That's you. He was thinking of you when he prayed this right here. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And so he prayed for our unity with him. Doesn't that seem to fly in the face of God being a distant God? Not only that, what he says here is that it's a part of our witness. That when we're united with Christ, when we're walking with him, when we are one with him, it's evidence to the world that God sent Jesus Christ for us. And when we walk and live that way, they get to see it.
So if our unity with Christ is evidence to the world that the Father sent Jesus, then it's impossible for Christ to be distant and still accomplish His work of saving mankind through our witness. He is involved with you in your life. He is involved with you in your life. Evidence one, He saved you. Jesus died for you. Evidence two, you're here this morning. Evidence three, you care about what the truth is. Evidence four, you've seen God do some things in your life. You may not fully understand Him, or you're trying to figure this whole thing out. How does all this work? Fantastic. That desire comes from Him. Because He says, none seeks after me, no, not one. So that only can be Him. Isn't that cool? We never, a lot of times we don't think about it like that. We don't think about, well, this is really God working to me. Some of the wonderings I have. Have you ever wondered things about God? Yeah, I really wonder, if, you know, how this is going to work. Or how come this bad thing happened? Or, you know, I wonder what God really thought of this. Or, you know, God, I'm just unsure. I've got so many decisions that are unclear to me. Why won't you just go draw a line for me and make it so clear that I can just go boom? You ever wonder that? If God, <laughs> if God wants me to do something in an hour and he just showed me what it was, what would happen in my life? You guys are playing the scenarios. Let me help you. You're going, well, if you're obedient, you would do it. If that's what, if that's all he wanted was me to do that, then that's what he would do, right? He would tell me that. But if I'm just doing that, am I seeking him? No, because I've got my instructions. He wants us to seek after him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's why some of that mystery remains. And I think he leaves mystery there so that we will constantly always seek and pursue him. When we want to know Him as much as we want to know answers to those mysteries, I think then we're going to cross over to some really cool things. Y'all follow me? How many of you care about really knowing how His heart beats as much as you know about what He wants you to do? Right? I mean, let's get to the get here. Let's quit playing games. We want... The stuff from God without God. And we just want Him to bless it. What if we said, we don't want nothing from you. We just want to know you. Are you willing to do that? Would you be willing to give up your salvation if it meant somebody else could be saved? Well, that's a selfless attitude, right? Ever thought of that? Here's some of my wonderings. <laughs> Would I be willing? Well, couldn't God save them anyway? <laughs> but we're selfish animals, really. And I'm not, you can't give away your salvation. I'm just saying. When your life stops to be about what you get out of him instead of the joy and, and you turn it to the joy of knowing him, then you're going to start to see things change. 
And so God may be totally different than you've imagined him to be. Including me. Let's start here. I could have false things about God that I'm thinking. If I don't admit that to myself, then I'm never going to find out what the truth is. We're constantly supposed to seek truth. I do not have perfect knowledge. I know where it is. And I know who shows it to us. And if I go and seek, and he said that if you seek me, you'll find me. If you, if any of you lack wisdom, ask and I'll give to you. But you ask and you receive not because you ask because you consume it on yourselves. That's why he doesn't answer. Because we're asking because we want to do it for us. It's about you. And if we want wisdom to glorify him or to be used for other people who give it to us freely. amazing how scripture begins to bring to life why things are happening well if God is different it would change some things see let me give you some takeaways how you see God will affect how you interact with him right you all said it a minute ago how you see people changes how you interact with them. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, listen to me. This is how the enemy gets involved in churches too. He changes how you see other people. And he drives wedges between you and what, where God wants you to be. I have watched it time and time and time again across the board in all the churches I've ever served in. When all our eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is invading our lives with joy. I should say infusing for those of you who don't like the word invading. I want him to invade me. I want him to go in areas that I'm holding out on him. And we're all seeking his will. Then we're all going to be on the same page because he's going to put us on the same page. And so don't let this junk, let the enemy use this junk to divide your heart. How you see God will affect how you interact with him. Your experience with the Lord is directly affected by how you view him. So how do you view him? Do you view him biblically accurate? You know, we see God judging people and killing them in the Old Testament. And we carry that picture into grace, the time of grace. You think he's still doing that when we get to heaven? Why not? Well, that's heaven. But we carry the Old Testament to now. So we don't use the same math. We change it. We don't use any parallel lines. And so how you see God is going to affect how you interact with him. Two. Does knowing the truth about God, who God is, matter to you? Is that something you care about? If God is totally different than who you think he is, do you want to know who he really is? Or are you just, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. You see... 
Some people have been comfortable with what they believe and will never consider anything as possible truth unless it agrees with they, what they already believe. So we get kind of comfortable in our belief system. Right? I'm really comfortable with this. Um, you know, and, and have you ever had somebody come to advice? You knew that they really didn't want your advice. They just wanted you to agree with them to confirm what they were doing. You ever had anybody do that? Right? We do that with God too. We do that with church. We do that with our journey. We want to confirm our choices instead of being, instead of seeking what's true. We want to live in our comfort instead of pursuing that which is true. You have to decide whether you're going to seek truth or seek comfort. So I think the sad thing is, is that's what I think that I've been watching this happen in church today. People are seeking comfort instead of Jesus Christ. What do you have for me? Mike, what do you have for me? They're both selfish views. But are we willing to surrender and, and seek him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? And pursue him and talk together and be there. Bear one another's burdens. Love one another. If your brother or sister is crushed by something, we should dig a channel and go down and get them. Like those boys that were caught in the mine. You know, everybody heralds that, that rescue effort. And, and they should. But there's something that's been forgotten. I've been watching in the stories. One man lost his life to rescue those boys. He gave his life. He drowned. Nobody's talking about that. The fact that they're all out. Everybody's like, oh, this is great. They're all out. And he gave his life. And I think the same thing has happened with Christ. We talk about the journey. But he lost his life to give us that. And we've got to be careful that we're not doing the same thing. Three. Are you willing to do the work to discover the truth? Listen. When God's word seems to contradict what you already believe, how do you handle it? Woo. Well, I've got to find a commentary that, believes, that agrees with me. Let me tell you something. Commentaries are not the inerrant word of God. They're opinions. Now, should they be respected and looked at and considered? Yes. Because hopefully these were godly men who walked with the Lord. It's the old story of the elephant, right? They took four blind men out to see this elephant. And one felt his ear, one felt his trunk, one felt his leg, and one felt his side. And they all had a completely different description. And I think that's how the commentaries sometimes work together. They bring the peace that God was wanting them to bring at that moment. And that's the beauty of looking at different ones. And so we have to seek God's word. We have to seek it in truth. We have to seek it in context. We can't just pop a verse out. Man, I've, there's so many verses I've watched be pulled out of context to prove somebody's view. If you have to pull it out of context to prove your view, your view is wrong. 
My view better line up in context. You know, the only thing that matters is what God meant when God said it, when he wrote it. That's what it means. There is only one interpretation. And it ain't mine. It's what God meant. You know, if I write a love letter to Terry, it only means what I meant when I wrote it, right? Not what everybody interprets that to me and say, oh, he really meant this and he really meant this. You ever been in literature class and they start doing that? You know, I think some of those poets might just be looking out their window and just describing what they see sometimes. And it's not some metaphysical thing about earth and, or men and women or, or all these weird stuff. I mean, I, I, I just sit there and go, what on earth is that? That's really more of a reflection of the one doing it than it is the one who wrote it. And that we must be careful of. Do never, 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 never compromise truth for convenience or comfort. You're going to pay a high price, I promise. You know, I was reading the story yesterday about these two brothers. You know, there's an older brother and a younger brother. And they were playing in the pool. And the older brother would dive in and sneak up under his younger brother and grab him and pop up through the water and throw him into the air. And they were playing this game and they were both having a good time. Well, so the older brother drives in, dives in and he lost track of his little brother. But then he saw him, he recognized the swim trunks, and he swims, swims over there and grabs him and throws him up into the air. And the kid in the air goes, hey, what's up with that? And he realizes it was the same trunks, but a different boy. <laughs> it wasn't his brother. <laughs> and he, slink, he sunk back into the water and swam away. And so you ask, what does that have to do about this? The moral of that story is, what you believe about something will affect how you act toward it. <laughs> he believed it was his brother and he acted toward him like he was his brother. Even though he wasn't. <laughs> if he had believed that that was not his brother, he probably wouldn't have done that. And so what we believe about God changes how we respond to him. It absolutely does. And so we need to get an accurate view of God. We need an accurate view of God. We're going to begin to talk about that side of this next week. I hope you'll come back and see that side. That's going to be an exciting one. I'm really I'm already looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. And so if you've held any of those views, listen. Welcome to the crowd. But let's not stay there. Let's move to truth. That's what we're here for, right? Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.